For your Emmy consideration, HBO presents The Last of Us. Nominated for 24 Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for Bella Ramsey. Don't miss the series critics call a masterpiece. The Last of Us is now streaming on Max. Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, Executive Editor of Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. And my guest today is composer Nicholas Bertel, who IndieWire readers no doubt know through his incredible music for films like Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk and his collaborations with Barry Jenkins and Adam McKay. And of course, for the HBO series Succession, which came to its conclusion this spring and is what Nick and I talked about on the podcast. That discussion was a little bit different as I invited Nick to conduct more of what we're calling an exit interview and invited him to reflect on his experience of scoring his first television show as we cover everything from the iconic succession theme to the choir music that ended the series. And it was fascinating to hear him reflect on if he would jump into another TV series. He was pretty honest about it. And how his experience working on Wall Street may have seeped into his music that both captured the absurdity and power of the Roy family. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of the best, if not the best, movie and TV composers working today. You know, Nick, uh, you're a lot of people's favorite interview, and it's not just because your music is great. Uh, You are so good at talking about how you work, how you structure music. You believe, you're believe you someone that really believes in formal structures in, in the sense of how can we plant seeds and plant themes and build towards how we shape the audience's emotional reaction through music. And not only are you good at executing that, you're very good at breaking that down. And I set this up because I'm very curious in this conversation where we're going to be reflecting on your first television show and seeing it from beginning to end uh, of four seasons, what you learned in terms of your approach to TV and in terms of this formal structure approach, this idea of how do you do that over four seasons, 50 episodes, what are the limitations, but also the challenges of doing that um, working in television? No, well, thank you. That's um, it's a really, really interesting question because I, I do think a lot about how um, the formal structures of things and sort of the architecture of the storytelling matters. And I think you know we all have our philosophies, I guess, of how we approach our arts. And I've always found, just as an audience member, when I'm trying to understand why I'm affected by certain things, I think it's over time I realize that I'm personally very affected by the way that things recur or how things change over time or you know I, I found I think in and just looking at the things that I love you know when like when something really hits you really hard you know I think often it's because you've created some sort of setup for it or perhaps you know I've thought about it in the context of almost like how our brains work in the way that like you know sometimes when something really moves you especially in the context of films or television, I think it's because maybe you've set up earlier the ability to, to have something feel like a memory, you know? And so if you set up something early and you seed an idea, and then when it comes back later, you know, we've changed. We, you know, we, the audience, have changed over time. And, and yet, if something changes, then we feel the change. If something's the same, you know, coming back, maybe it feels like the memory of what it was because time has passed, you know? So there's all these different ways that I think things can affect us. 
It's a great question, though, about the over long periods of time, because I feel like I've been, you know, I feel like I learn on every project and I and I hope to keep learning. And I certainly learned a lot over the course of working on Succession, because I think, you know, we're we're always focusing just on what's right in front of us. But it is interesting to look back over these seasons and think about the ways in which I think I changed as a storyteller or the ways in which I thought about those things. I mean, I think on a micro level, I definitely think about formal structures in the sense of like, we've talked about like opening title sequences and end credit sequences. I think I've definitely discovered that I really love end credit sequences and I really love (laughs) opening title sequences. I don't know why, you know, these are the sorts of things that we're all just drawn to subconsciously and especially end credit sequences, I feel in the context of succession, that's something I spent a lot of time thinking about And over time, even more time, I think by the time we were in season four, I really went out of my way to craft these quite extensive (laughs) end credit sequences because I felt like, and I feel like the end credit sequences matter and give you a chance to reflect on what you've just watched, what you've just witnessed. I always felt that growing up watching movies and coming to an end credit sequence at the end. And I feel it, 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 it sort of like, you've seen something and now let's give you a moment of pause. But it's still, you know, because once you leave the theater, for example, you're on your own, you can do anything you want. But while you're still in the context of the theater, that formality of the end credits kind of gives you this chance of like, let's think about what we just, let's feel what we just felt, you know? And there's a kind of contemplation to that that I really enjoy. So that's on a micro level, sort of like in an episode, the end credit sequence or the opening title sequence. On the on the scope of the whole series, I think the biggest thing for me was wondering as a as a question, like how how do you keep an idea going musically over a long period of time and have it keep um, hopefully keep feeling fresh, even though you know it's going to be heard a lot and things, you know, you never want something to get repetitive, I guess is the best way to say it. You never want things to feel like they're overstaying their welcome. And I'm very, very sensitive to that, I think. I mean, I guess the simplest thing was that, you know, to approach it was just each season, I would try to go out of my way to push away from any of the expected chord progressions, melodies, feelings of 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 what the previous season was. And then... I would go out of my way to try to figure out how to, inside the pieces, have them kind of look back or wink back or or rhyme with the previous seasons. You know, so it was always hopefully changing, but there was always a sense of sort of a musical uh, acknowledgement inside the pieces of this is succession. This is the Roy family. This is where we've been. And the music knows where we've been, you know? <laughs> and so there, that was that was one of the fun things. And I found that when I was able to do that, I just took a great satisfaction in that. I remember writing certain pieces and you'd sort of all of a sudden, you wouldn't, you know, I'd write 10 new pieces, for example. And then all of a sudden in the 10th piece, I'd be like, well, let's wind back to sort of something of the main title sequence here. Let's wind back to something of, you know, like a shiv kind of a chord progression, or, you know, something. And I, I just really enjoyed that. So I had a lot of fun with that over time. And I think I, I think each season I actually had even more fun because we were able, I think the whole show and all the, the cast and crew kept gaining confidence as we went forward. I just felt mm-hmm. that. Um, and I felt like 
I even understood better over time what succession was and what what it was we were creating and, and actually what the sound of succession was because I remember going into season two after season one, I was sort of like, you know, what do I do now? Like, <laughs> we've already done all these things. I don't want to lose that feeling. It certainly feels like it works. Um, and I would, I wrote a lot of things and I remember listening to some of, you know, listening back to some of the things I was writing and there are certain things that just felt like succession and there were certain things that just didn't. And it was really interesting to kind of analyze like, what was that? You know, was it, was it a instrument? Was it a type of a, a, a non-chord tone that just didn't feel like it was part of the scales that I was using? You know, what was that? And it was a lot of different things, you know, but ultimately I think it, the whole thing, when you look over the four seasons, you know, it comes back to this kind of, it's like a feeling, you know, mm -hmm. some, some things to me just felt like this show. And then the fun was over time leaning into that even more and more. I think by season four, there was an, there's an ever increasing kind of darkness. There's an ever increasing sadness. There's also an ever increasing sense of just the total absurdity at times of what's going on. So, you know, there's certain things that I would write that I just found really funny, you know? And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was that kind of thing over time of just constantly pushing, but thinking about, are we, you know, am I still in the zone of what this sound is right for the show? And it was never a, it was never an obvious thing. It was never obvious. I really treated every single piece, every cue, every moment as its own moment and constantly kept just trying to push myself. I want to return to this idea of um, end credits and end music, especially as it pertains to season four, because <clears throat> one thing I also find fascinating is I, I know you and Jesse talk, you know where things are going. You know season two is going to be very internal. Kendall, you might not know the press conference is ending, but you know the world you're working in. And one thing that always kills me about when listening to you talk about succession is that you, with that as a backdrop, you still are kind of watching episodes unfold <laughs> as a fan, like seeing where they go. I'm very curious about that in context of what you said about end credit music as it pertains to season four, because um, it is a wonderful time to reflect. These episodes have earned that music and that moment of reflection that you gave it. To me, there feels a little bit like you're reflecting on it, like you've just experienced it, which I think is maybe a little bit different than, you know, you know, the end of Moonlight, you know, the end of uh, She Said, you know, I, to, to a certain degree, is there, there is there something about experiencing these episodes and reflecting on them? You know, the, I mean, the key difference with something like Succession to a film is just that there's so much of it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you're and, and, and there's so much of it that's that's. I think about each season for a, a long time, you know, after my first conversations with Jesse, sort of before maybe he's even shot any of the season. And then I'm so I'm thinking about things for a long time. And then once you finally start getting the episodes, you know, you start getting a lot of material relatively quickly. So I think just because of the quantity that television like represents, mm -hmm. you do sort of have these immediate reactions to a lot of things perhaps at once as you're going through them, you know? Uh, I, you know, on one film, you know, perhaps you're working on a film for six months, nine months, you're thinking about it, but, you know, maybe there, there might be a two-month, three-month period where all of a sudden I'm watching 10 episodes of Succession, you know? And it's a lot of material. Um, so, so I do think that it, 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 it's helpful to me 
um, both the quantity, but also the, the fact that I don't always know things because it allows, maybe the best way to think about it is like when you first watch something, like I've, I've thought about this in the context of Moonlight, for example, you know, you first watch footage of something and it's really important to be sensitive to your feelings of what that is because you only get one first watch of something, you know? Once you've had that first watch, you already have this whole set of ideas and, you know, perhaps notions of what you might try, et cetera. Do you try and give yourself like a screening experience? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sensitive with it. And actually, yeah. and I take a lot of time when I'm first watching something. Like usually when I first get it, I get like a delivery of it, you know, and I have it in my mm -hmm. system and I, and I watch it and I constantly am stopping it and taking down notes. And, you know, my first watch could be hours upon hours upon <laughs> hours just because I'm sort of like moment to moment wanting to like, keep track of my thoughts on something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when I get the succession episodes, I try to do that exact, you know, I go through them. And so like you were saying, you know, the press conference, I was shocked by that, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And in season four, um, I think that the difference with season four was that I knew that Logan was going to die in mm -hmm. episode three. And so that definitely changed the nature of my responses to these things, you know, because that it was such a monumental event in the context of the show. And I think that changed kind of how I was thinking about what I might do over the course of the whole season. Um, so there, so that was definitely a large presence in in a sense of 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 what I was focused on. But again, to the point of your question, you know, there were so many things I didn't know about, and some of that, especially in the writing side of it, that comes down to me sort of having these hypotheses of what I might want to feel, and then mm -hmm. seeing. If after I've written, you know, I write a lot of music and I play things for Jesse and we talk about it, and then I see episodes that I haven't written anything for, for example, and then you see if we, what you're missing. <laughs> all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're like, you know, I may have all these ideas that feel like they work for episodes one, two, and three, and then, you know, I get to episode seven or eight and you say, oh, what else is there? You know, for example, one idea that I explored further over the course of season four was the idea of uh, possibly using a choir. That was something that I hadn't thought of or hadn't assumed in the beginning. I've always had this idea of uh, using choir with succession just because there's a um, intensity and a, and a gravitas of the feeling world of succession in the music, I would say. And I always felt, okay, what's the, what's, what's the furthest you can go with that kind of intensity of, ex of, of emotional musical experience? And you know, I've explored strings and brass and winds and, the, and piano in the context of, you know, in the electronics and 808s and beats and all these things. But voices is is certainly, the, you know, acquires the most full-on version of that, I would say, where you're taking things to their sort of height, a possible height of experience. And to be honest, it, over the course of succession, choir would have been too much, actually. It just, it just, ne it, it, it would have been like one one step too far, you know? And yet I always kept in the back of my mind, like, is there a place for it? And I remember thinking to myself for the for an elegy, for example, for an elegy-like piece for Logan's passing, like, could that work? I wrote some music for that. I think it didn't, it felt too much. It didn't feel right. But there was this idea of, you know, could there be a conclusion, you know, what if the whole thing ended with with voices? You know, it's sort of a human statement after all of this, pain and complication, you know? Um, so that was something that I came to over the, you know, I, I, I worked on that 
in the middle of, you know, getting episodes. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to try to re record a choir in London, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, so those, those are the types of things that, that, you know, over time you, you're not sure of. And I mean, in a sense, due to just the length of the show, you're able to sort of experiment and try these things. Um, so that was something that definitely evolved over the course of the season. But it's so many things, you know, it's so many things. And I didn't know what was going to happen in season four. I didn't know how it would end. So, you know, some of some of the very final moments musically were things that I had sort of imagined. And then I don't know if I'm ever if I told you the the, the fact that that last piece and uh, right before the end credits, that last piece was actually something that I sort of imagined for the ending of the show. Did I tell you that? And, and Jesse, no, no, no. I had written a piece that I didn't tell Jesse this, but I'd written a piece that just felt like a conclusion to the show somehow on an emotional level. Um, it felt like it represented, there's, there's a piece of music that I, that I first wrote in season one that you hear at the end, right before the end of the pilot. It's this kind of, you know, there are these sort of, sometimes there are these sort of wraparound sequences at the ends of, of, of some of the episodes, not always, you know, where we're sort of tying things together, you're seeing different things, different points of view. And I remember uh, I wrote this piece, uh, Andante con Moto is one of the sort of versions of that piece. And um, it's this sort of progression that's sort of the core, it starts with the chords of the main theme, but it has this sort of eighth note ostinato. And to me, and certainly in season one, it felt like kind of an end of an episode, and it felt like an like a Kendall kind of an end of an episode. There was something to that. And each season, that was one of the ways that I would evolve things. Every season, I would say to myself, okay, I like that concept of a piece. What do we do for season two? You know, And so I would start it the same way, and then it would take a turn, and it would go in a whole other place. And then I did it in season three, same thing. And that piece evolved, and actually, the season three version is that is you hear it... Um, over the, the FBI raid, you hear that, like a totally grand version of that with strings and orchestra, you know. And in season four, I wrote a piece and I remember thinking, you know, what, what, it, what is a chord progression that could feel like the, like give a sense of conclusion? Because I wanted there to be a mixture of, of I would say, it's not, it's not all sadness and pain, you know. I felt because it's season four, we want. I wanted to give a sense of like possibility. Like we don't know where, and we'll never really know where this is all headed after this show, you know? But I wanted there to be like a kernel of, is there a future? What is that future? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not all darkness. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that, and I wrote a piece that felt to me like, kind of like a, like a, cycles of time kind of a feeling, you know? This is their lives, that kind of a feeling. And um, I played it for Jesse, and after I played it for him, he said, I think that's the ending of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was so fascinating because I had thought that it might be too. And, mm. um, and, and yet, you know, similarly, that was before we had actually worked on the last episode. And I remember when they were first putting it together, Jesse called me and he said, um, you know, I'm really, he, he was like, I'm really excited for you to see the final episode. Take a look at what we did at the very end. He's like, because I put that piece <laughs> that we talked about at the end. He's like, and Jesse, you know, as I've told you in the past, he's the, he's literally the most, you know, kind, supportive, eloquent, amazing collaborator. Like he, you know, and, and, and he said, you know, if, tell me what you think. He's always like, tell me what you think. You know, I don't want to assume it's the right thing. Um, 
But I remember watching it with that piece that we had talked about at the end, and it just felt, it just felt right. And I was, I called, I was like, it's, I was, I was like, I think it's perfect. And I, you know, I ended up tailoring it for that sequence, of course. Right, but right. that idea just somehow felt right. So, so that's that's. There's sort of the two sides of it, I guess. There's the one side, which is watching things and being surprised and responding, and then there's the other side, which is this sort of parallel set of work that I guess we all can do or that I certainly do on projects, which is you sort of do things just from imagining them, from your conversations, from reading a script, from, and then you get a chance to see if that works. And I'm always fascinated by both of those approaches because I think that the things that you write imagining just from your research and your conversations are always different than the things that you write from watching something. Sometimes those things work and when they work, it's amazing because they work mm-hmm. really well. And if they don't work, they totally don't work. (laughs) They're just debacles, you know? (laughs) It's remarkable that that worked and then also the choir idea. I guess it's because the choir feels so different and it is a human reflection, rather. It it becomes, it's over, now we're reflecting. Now we can reflect and we can have that. There was something, I almost would say, there's almost something, there's something comforting about human voices there Mm -hmm. to me, you know? There's this sort of, and, and it's sad. I mean, I do think it's like a, it has a finality to it. It has a sort of, this chapter is over, you know? This mm-hmm. this this moment of li- life is over. And in a sense, too, it's for all of us on the show. I mean, I, I feel personally, you know, I mean, this whole chapter of our lives is over. Like, it's been about seven years of my life, you know, from when I think when I first went to the, almost seven years from when I first went to the pilot uh, set to now. So, yeah, so it's interesting (laughs) to have that feeling and to say, oh, this, you know, and to reflect on that on a personal level, too. But um, the only other instance of choir in the show uh, is the end of of season three. And that was the first time that I was able to sort of see if it could work. Um, And and there, too, it was an interesting question because, you know, I'd wondered, like, what would the would the choir have lyrics? Would it say anything? And I thought it was really important in the context of the show that that. Season four, there's no lyrics. They're just singing on ah, you know? And then in season three, they're saying amen, which I thought was one word that had a, had a openness to it that, that could mean a lot of things, I think. You know, it's funny. I was reading something. I don't know where I saw it, but uh, it was with Mark, Mark Mylod. Maybe it was even one of those uh, post-game things they have to, after the episode. And he said something that was so obvious, but also took me a little by surprise because, you know, after the finale, he says, I always, I have always thought of this show as a tragedy. And then he was even talking about, you know, they go to, where is it? They go to Barbados. And he's like, well, that was going to be a false moment of hope. You know, <laughs> it's like this idea. And it, it, it is, it is a way of thinking about it, but there is something about watching this show I think about my relationship to these characters radically changing. I mean, there's times that I've written them off and I'm like, I don't want to, I I hate that. You know, like this person needs to be ridden from this world. And there's something about Jesse's writing and and these performances where I think there's two things. One, we understand how damaged they are and abused and we suddenly want to give them a hug after they're ruining our world. And then there is also, and I think this is embodied in your music, a little bit of hope that they're going to get their shit together. <laughs> like There's always, and, and, and there's a thing here, and I say, not to go back to Mark's thing, where it's like, I always know it's going to be tragedy, but I think there's something about the creation, both in the writing and your music and the relationship to it, 
maybe intellectually you know that, but I don't know that your storytelling epi- episode to episode is is thinking in those tragic terms, right? I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not always thinking in tragic terms at all. Actually, um, there's whole sections of some of these seasons that I find as the height of comedy, you know? Uh, yeah. I think moment to moment there's tragedy, moment to moment there is sometimes comedy. Um, but I'm, I think it's interesting too because I think, you know, there's huge gradations of emotion that I think the show um, uh, contains, you know? Um, and I think about that a lot in terms of writing music. Like there's, um, I mean, I think, of, I think maybe I think about that in all the music that I write for anything where there's, you know, there's so many possible nuances of emotion that you can craft in music, certainly in writing, certainly in in any sort of storytelling. But I think when I think about music, you know, there are certain pieces that I write for Succession that I think have a, a mystery and a darkness. There's certain pieces that have a, a, a slyness or like a sinister quality. There's certain pieces that have a real sadness to them, you know. Um, and there are certain pieces that absolutely have hope and possibility and excitement, you know. Uh, I mean, I think the uh, there is, I think on the whole, most of the music does have a kind of darker edge to it or a darker hue. Um, but for example, you know, the music of, uh, I sort of call it their traveling music, but you know, I've, ri- I've written a lot of music for Succession for helicopter journeys, and, you know, <laughs> going to a, to a private plane and driving in a caravan of, you know, Mercedes limousines or what have you. And that type of music, you know, I don't, that's not tragic music at all. If anything, it, it's got a sort of dark energy to it, you know, and a propulsiveness. And um, I think that 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 energy, which which is certainly a part of the pulse of the show, I think that has a a sense of forward motion. You know, we're always, you know, they're always sort of hurtling into an unknown future. They have no idea where they're headed. And their decisions, I mean, you see that in season four, their decisions of what's happening change on a dime. You know, what were they, they were raising money and starting to get that uh, start up the hundred going the hundred, and the all hundred. of a sudden and all of a sudden they're acquiring Pierce and then all of a sudden <laughs> Gojo is you know back I mean it's it's just every moment something is and perhaps that's a, a you know a, a statement about or an indictment of what that level of resources can do and gives you the possibility of doing is that you can you know they they can be incredibly unserious at times because they have access to so much money and power you know they can they can't you know and that and perhaps that's what logan is seeing in them all the time this sort of like you're not serious people concept you know that they can just go from one thing to another and perhaps there isn't a a, a deeper philosophy at work you know it's all just moment to moment kind of skirmishes and at times I think one of the one of the frustrations, you know, that maybe we all have for the the Roy children, you know, is that like, you know, no matter what their longer term ambitions, they always thwart themselves out of the all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, you see Roman, maybe he's finally getting his act together, you know, and then he sends the dick pic, you know, <laughs> you know to his dad. There's, they, you know? they always seem, one of them always seems on the verge of possibly landing Always, it. there's always possibility, you know, so that's the thing. The show isn't, moment to moment, the show isn't, you know, skeptical of their ability. I mean, I think one of the reasons we're so, we're able to be engaged for a long period of time is because it is possible. They have access to untold billions. Um, they, they, they're all, you know, active 
you know, adults in major metropolitan areas, you know, theoretically they can put together plans and strategies and yet they all right at the final moments thwart themselves. You know, Kendall, Kendall too. I mean, that's one of the interesting things I find with Kendall where it's like, you know, he, you see him, he can totally drop the ball in such spectacular fashion. But at the same time, that press conference at the end of season two is magnificent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, and the eulogy he improvises at the funeral is, you know, whether we agree with the philosophy inherent in what he's saying or not, it's, spe- it's spectacular to watch. You're like, wow, this guy could do things, you know? And yet it's due to their, it's really the families, it's their, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the fundamentals of the dynamic that they have as a family that really, it seems, are their downfall, you know? It's, the, it's not their intellectual abilities, for example, you know? And you see that in sort of, I think, the conclusion of season four. It's that it's these, like, painful family long-standing, you know, traumas that they have that those are the things that they could just can never get over. Um, and perhaps it's because they haven't given those things sufficient time or, or thought or care, you know. Um, but but so, I, so I, I think you're right that there's moment to moment I'm not tragic, uh, but I think the sweep, if, you know, if I had to say like my feeling in writing season four, like if I just said, what is it? I feel sad. You know, I think there is a. I think there's more sadness in season four than the other seasons to me, to my mind, and and perhaps that makes sense that there is there is a death. You know, there is a lot of ending in season four, and in those pieces, I think uh, I remember writing a sort of elegy uh, for the idea of Logan's death, and I think the way that I came about to what the right tone was for that. Uh, you hear that piece at the very end of episode three in the in the credits, for example, you know. And I think the idea was it's not a lot of the feeling that I think I was trying to convey in, in a piece like that. It's not to say that this is Logan, like this is about Logan, you know. It's more about how how does his family feel about the loss of this person, you know? How do how do Kendall and Shiv and Roman, what, what is the sadness of losing a father, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something that we all can identify with and we all understand. And, and I think often when I'm writing music for these particular moments, you know, I'm thinking in my own life and all of our, you know, maybe all of us have these moments where we feel a certain way. And I think one of the exciting possibilities with music is trying to capture some of those feelings in the context of the story that maybe we we all can feel those things, you know? Like I, I remember the phone call sequence. Um, there's that sense of, uh, we've all received phone calls like that in our lives, I think, where, you know, you someone tells you something horrible or you know something horrible is happening and you don't even want to, it's like you almost don't want your brain to fully go to the conclusion of what's what it really means, the phone call, you know? So you're, there's sort of an anxiety an unsettling nature and a sadness, but you're almost not willing to feel the full sadness yet, if that makes sense. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're pushing away the truth, but you know it's, you know something's even worse than you can imagine, basically, and you're sort of holding off how bad it is for a moment. And that was the feeling I was trying to have on the phone call music, where it was this kind of, you know, building, growing, unsettling, raw trauma, you know, that, that it's not, it's not a grand statement of sadness, you know, it's actually sort of an, like a sandpaper, like kind of like gnawing at you pain that, you know, is 
going to lead to even more pain, you know? And I think, so those are the things where it's like, what is the, you know, a lot of it is like, like we were saying, watching these things and sort of saying, well, what, what, what does this feel like? Like, or, and what, and what could we feel in a moment like that? And that was probably the most intimate, internal, psychological kind of piece of music in the whole show in all four seasons, that phone call, I think. Much of the music I write in succession has, I think, a quality of like, it's almost, um, it's almost about the show as much as it is about any one moment. It's sort of the music has a kind of like perspective that it has on the show in a way where it's almost like looking at the show sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And yep. yet there are few, there's a few moments like the phone call where I'm sort of, I'm actually trying to have the music feel like you're inside the show, you're inside Kendall's point of view or you're inside Shiv's point of view, you know? Um, so it's always interesting to sort of play with the point of view on the music. Um, but I've found, again, like we were saying, you know, I don't preconceive these things, you know? It's like I just sort yeah. of, each episode I'm new saying, well, what do I do here? <laughs> it's interesting, you know, and so much of this comes back to that theme that you have too, which captures the absurdity and and the, again, that fact that something could happen at any moment and that that duality of um, they could, for all the absurdity, they could, they could make this happen and they could have that emotion. I'm curious, your music's universal and, and you've done lots of things uh, where they might not be lived experiences of yours, but you found the universal. But I have to ask, is there something from your experience working on Wall Street uh, before you got into music that you saw some of this up close in that? Because I think if I were to think about myself, I read about this stuff all the time and I have maybe just the eagle's eye view, but was there something about being in the middle of this and seeing all the money and seeing the players that maybe gave you a perspective? It's a good question. I think, um, you know, all of our experiences go into our our lives and our work in that sense. So I think that uh, I'm sure that having, you know, that kind of Wall Street education, that's how I think about that period of my life. You know, I really, I learned so much and, and I did, um, you know, get to, sort of see up close, like the way that that some of that world kind of works. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it has to somehow go into my, uh, my, my, my writing of what this is. Um, I think that, uh, I think, you know, one of the things I think you learn when you're on Wall Street, especially, you know, I, I, you know, I was trading, for example, during the financial crisis, you know, and that was a very painful, traumatic experience to see that. One of the things you you realize, and maybe this is an interesting, um, you know, I haven't thought of this before, but this sort of, you know, you see in the financial crisis, I remember, like, you know, there's all these people that you think kind of know what's going on in the world and these very, very high positions of power. And then during the financial crisis, I remember sort of being like, oh, wow, none of these people have any idea what's going on, you know? <laughs> and And I think there's a sense of that with, with this world of succession too, which is, you know, no matter how much seeming power, no matter how much money, no matter how much of anything, you know, people are people and, and, and no one really, no one really knows anything. We're all just figuring things out. And, um, and I think there, there can be a sense sometimes, maybe that's one of the things that's fascinating about the show is, you know, by seeing the absurdities of that world, you know, and by seeing the moment to moment just, you know, petty, you know, enmities and 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 these these just idiocies that happen. I think you you know it's. I think it just reaffirms the the humanness of our 
the human condition, you know, yeah. like there's no, there's, you know, there's no secret way through this. It's life is just life. And, you know, they live a different life. They live in, a, in, in what seems like a different world, but ultimately they're human beings who are, who have all their foibles and, and don't know what, you know, don't, don't know it all at all. And succession shows you that scene to scene that these people very often do not know what's going on. You said something that really resonated with me earlier um, where you said, uh, and I think this applies to a lot of uh, my favorite TV shows, is that everybody involved seems to know as it, as it goes on and with a great show, become more and more confident what it is. More and more and more, there's more, it, it becomes more itself. I mean, even if you, you could watch some of your favorite shows and watch some of the first two episodes and you're like, wow, it wasn't there maybe in the pilot, but very, very quickly they got there. You know, in retrospect, I, I'd, I'd love for you to reflect on, because in some ways you got a lot right, right in the beginning, <laughs> that you lived with that theme for a while and it, it, it paid dividends. But I have to imagine that's also part of this, if I think about it in terms of reflecting on your first full TV experiences, maybe that idea of where, where you are in the beginning and you don't necessarily know. I mean, I'm look, Jesse had a great pilot. Adam's involved. I mean, I'm not trying to act like they're, you know, this is second city. They're doing a sketch up at stage. I mean, you know, <laughs> these are serious people, but I mean, I, I am curious about that thinking about starting a television show and maybe not a hundred percent knowing what it is or where it's going. Hmm. You know, I, I think one of the, uh, I mean, it's a good question. I think one of the, um, one of the interesting things, perhaps with the with with working on a pilot and maybe with the way that we that we did the pilot um, was that the pilot was really its own thing. Um, we shot the pilot uh, before, I believe it was before the show had gotten its full, you know, uh, season picked up, and so that pilot really was this kind of. Uh, setting the tone, setting the stage, you know, you try out a lot of different things. And perhaps, just thinking back, I mean, in the sense of the way that the aesthetic was really woven into that pilot, you know, from the camera to the edit, to the tone of the writing, to the way that, and I do, of course, think that we evolved quite a bit. I mean, I think that the show, like we said, really continued its, um, its, its, its changing and finding itself even more so. But but you're right that a lot of those nuances of tone were there in the pilot. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it was, is the sense that when you do these pilots, you, you know, I sort of treated that like a movie, you know, here's the, here's a movie. And there's this question of, I always feel like every project deserves its own DNA. Every project deserves its own sound. And, um, and I mean, every department figured out their, take on what the aesthetic of succession was. But I think on a music level, um, I tried out a lot of things and had the time to sit with Jesse, had the time to sit with Adam. Um, and then actually, um, I'm trying to remember in the calendar of when it was, I think we had a lot of time. I think it was like another year before all the rest of the show was shot for season mm -hmm. one because succession, I'm trying to remember, I think we were shooting the pilot in... Yeah, we were shooting the pilot in 2016 in the fall, I believe. Yeah. And then I was scoring. I finished 
the score of season one, I believe it was in, it was 2018, actually. So there's a lot of time, you know, and so what's interesting is, you know, you sort of work on the pilot, but then because you're doing season one later, finishing it later, you're able to go back to the pilot, see more, learn more, go back, finish things. So perhaps there's a sense of like, you know, we were able to have the time to kind of really think about what that season one was. So in essence, that pilot was breaking that you kind of found your way into that the way you would find your way into a two hour movie. And then you've got that and now you're approaching and you approach each season with a certain amount of themes or wave. And so it's a little bit like handling in pieces. Yeah. Like you break it in, you know, you figure the pilot out and actually to be, you know, to complete the idea fully, it's like, I actually didn't finish scoring the pilot when we finished the pilot. I had a, I worked on a lot of these ideas, went through the whole thing, talked with Jesse, did all these things with Adam. And then after season, the rest of season one was shot, then I actually went back to the pilot and finished scoring it, knowing much more about where season one was going, and then finished scoring season one. And then actually the main title sequence, I think, was like the last thing I did for, you know, so so in a way it's like it shows it shows the benefit and the power of taking time and and uh, and living with things and trying things because it, it wasn't like, um, you know, they just shot season one and then I just sort of dove into it and it all kind of came together. It really was the result of a lot of time and thought. With the uh, with the complete, let's get this up top, every season you're bringing in five to 10 new themes. You're thinking of it, you're bringing in new ideas and new themes and new music. And, and season four is certainly a testament to that, um, especially because in a lot of cases, had to reinvent itself after Logan died. Not reinvent it, but there's something gone that had to to be refigured. So, so with the understanding that 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 is absolutely the baseline here, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the process of editors using your pre-existing music to temp, and that process. Um, both, it's funny. I I I remember when we talked after season two, you had given in particular Bill Henry a lot of credit for bringing certain pieces of music back and almost sparking ideas of of things to do. It sounds like they definitely help bring something. They open doors and, oh, I could go back to that. But I do wonder, <laughs> that was season two. You get to season four, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of Bretel succession music. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> Is there a thing here where it's like, um, you know, it's like, do you guys need me? I mean, it's just like, is there a thing here where, because that is, I have to imagine that is unique for you, right? To, to, and, and that evolution of this, and it only imagine gets more so of, of your previous music being used to temp what you're about to score. Well, it's funny because I, and, and I've talked to Jesse at length about this. There's every, every season I have a sort of concept that I think I'm going to try to explore musically. And what, with that being said, I also have, as I, if I ever am encountering previous music I've written for Succession in a new season, if I'm sort of like, oh, you know, I start having this visceral reaction against it. <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember, I think in season three, uh, the editors were, were at times playing around with um, some season two stuff. And I remember calling Jesse and just being like, Jesse, I don't think it works. I don't think it works. I just, I really, you know, and and he and and there were times, you know, he would say, oh, you know, but I, he'd be like, I love this piece, and I was like, I totally, totally, and it may be right, but I really, you know, I really want to explore some of these new things, and and 
obviously Jesse was always not just supportive, but encouraging me to keep pushing things. I think the best use or version of previous seasons things is when we want to reflect back, you know? If we want to feel like we're, oh, here we go again, you know, this kind of thing. Or or like I was saying earlier in the conversation, you know, the idea of memory, the idea of feeling where we've been before. And I think those are the kinds of things where um, that's the power of that. The, the whole editorial team, Jesse, everyone is 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 always ultra supportive of me pushing into new territory. Um, but it's always a conversation because, you know, there are times where you do want to feel where we've been and where you do want to feel the recurrence of something or where you do want to hearken back to something. And especially, I think, in the context of of television, it's really important. I mean, because of the length, and this maybe is the fir- going back to the first question we talked about, the scope and the architecture, because of the length, you really have to keep a thread going. It's so important. You don't want to feel like we're not connected to where we've been. Um, and maybe that's ultimately the biggest challenge is how do you stay totally connected to who these people are, to where you've been while always changing it, you know? And uh, and the answer is you you should, at times, embrace where you've been. Um, so so I think that's the best version of, uh, you know, I think the, the piece that, that we talked about with Bill was there's the, the it's the scene when, um, when Kendall goes to the house of the boy who died in the- Sure, because the, the, it pulls back to the crash. And you hear, and he was like, whoa, let's map back to the feeling we had literally of that crash. And I remember thinking to myself, it's such a brilliant idea, yeah. you know? And so, you know, so all I did was, was rework it and refashion that concept for that moment, you know? But Bill was the one saying, hey, this is a, you know? And I think those are the, so those are some of my favorite conversations actually. Yeah. I, I love in a movie or a show where you're looking at a spot and you're, you know, because every time a, a scene happens in anything, I say to myself, well, what do we do here? <laughs> you know, what, yeah, what, is, yeah. what is this? And, the, and the, best, the best conversations are when we say, oh, wait, because this is happening, what if there's some connection with this? You know, and, and I think for me, that's some of the most fun that I have is that sort of subconscious mapping of different ideas. You know, I, I've, I use that term architecture, I think of like, you know, I love feeling a, a, a connection with something subconsciously and having, and there's that feeling of when you, when you do that, sometimes those scenes just feel like they just like open up, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's some of the most, those discovery moments are some of the most fun I think I ever have in, in this job. Am I wrong that you came back in season four uh, quite a bit to the to the drowning, the, the, the lowest point in Kendall at the end of season one? Actually, it's interesting. I, I didn't do it much in season four, actually. I think what, okay. what it, I'm trying to think in, se- in season four, the things that recur, if they do at times, it was actually a concept more of I remember saying to Jesse early on in season four as a thesis. I felt yeah. that if we were ever going to hearken back to things, I felt mm-hmm. it was going to be to season one. That was kind of yeah. my, and that it's not always the case, but that was my yeah. sort of hunch was that there's like a sense of the the bookends of that, like the sense that like the conclusion it could be most powerful if we were referring back to things, it would be to the very beginning, you know? So there were times, for example, where, you know, um, I would hearken back to some of the things in the pilot that was definitely the case. Sometimes the atmospheres, some of I do some of these strange bell atmospheres and things like that, you know, that you hear. Um, 
I th- there's some of that, for example, um, even in that final, uh, those final scenes when Kendall's walking away from the conference room uh, mm-hmm. towards the elevator, you know, um, you hear some of the pilot textures there, you know, and I, cause I find, you know, if I just even say that now, I get sort of moved by that because there's this, there's this <clears throat> sense of like, that's where we first met these people. And now this is where he is, you know, this, a lot of life happened in between those two moments, you know, but the music gives you the chance to connect them right away. I'm curious, was there a moment where you realized that the theme had become something bigger than <laughs> that had become this iconic thing that had uh, become almost uh, bigger than, oh, it's a great it's a great theme song that for people that love the show and it, it had taken on a larger cultural significance? It's funny you ask because I remember the first time I had an inkling that people were were into the theme was um, we were actually in the edit working on Vice uh, in the summer of 2018 and season one was airing at that time. And I remember we were sitting, it was me and McKay and Hank Corwin. And I remember Adam was sitting there and he was, he was, he was like on the internet and he was looking and he was like, I think people are really into your music. (laughs) And I was like, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, a lot of people are talking about it right now. And I was like, I was like, I, mean, I had no idea. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? You know? And he, and he, and he said, I'm going to send you a couple of tweets. You should look at this, you know? And, and it was, and, and that was the first moment I remember that just thinking like, what is, what is Adam talking? Really? You know? Yeah. And then it, it did. And it did start sort of taking on a life of its own. It's interesting. I, I don't want to get too much in it. The theme has been broken down and talked about and, and why it's so brilliant. I am, though, in the sense of reflecting back, I, I do wonder, <laughs> that theme, your music is changing, it evolves, it goes season to season as it drills into the specifics in the world of each season. But to a certain degree, I wonder about living with a theme once you write it. Now, this one became iconic, so that was a good thing. I wonder if you were to start a new TV show, if there's part of you in the back of the head, like, I'm going to still be building off this thing. <laughs> and if this show hits in like seven years. And like, and I just wonder if you're like, everyone, you know, thank God I did that. You know, thank God. I did, you know? That's a good, it's a good question. Like, yeah, because it's like you're setting your, well, you know what I would say this? I think one of the reasons that, that I did continue evolving it was it felt like it was working. Meaning you would have left it, it would, it would, if it wasn't working, you could move. Or, or like, I think in another universe, you know, um, I think there's totally a, a logical framework where you would have a show and each season you change the theme, you know, each season there's a new main title piece of music to say, Hey, we're doing, we're now in season two, you know, I'm total. I would totally be open to that type of thing too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but I think that I remember going into season two and I think so. You know, uh, I think I'm. I I said, you know, hey, should we should we tweak the theme for season two? And I remember people being like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, you should not. I was like, okay, okay, well, let's not touch it. And I remember even playing with it once, being like, maybe I should change the key. Would it be interesting if it was like half a step up or something? And I remember doing it, and I was just like, no, this doesn't. It just feels like why, you know? Mm-hmm. So 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 I think everything is 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 really kind of particular to to what you're doing, you know, it's like you fought, you know, there's no, no preconceived notion. There's no, it's certainly not like I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Every, every episode I was always saying, what do I do now? And each season really was these sets of conversations. Like what, what should we, you know, 
keep keep and what should we move away from? And I think there are definitely things that I that I kept, you know, in a sense of the feelings of them and things that I loved going ever deeper into. And there are certain things that I sort of moved away from. I think, you know, season one, for example, there was there was definitely um I think a little bit more sometimes like electronics that I would play with. And I think over the 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 next seasons I I leaned ever ever more into uh just, you know, the richness of strings. That was something that I think I I felt over time more and more like strings and piano were this the colors, the musical colors of Succession. I did do some woodwinds in season four, which were, I loved doing that, oboes and clarinets and things. And um, But for example, you know, season one, I tried all of all the different families of instruments. You know, I remember there was more brass in season one. And over time, I think we, you and I might've talked about this, like certain of these musical colors, as as you spend more time with characters, I felt that the woodwinds and the and the brass, certainly in the first few seasons, they felt a little bit too comical at times mm-hmm. to me. The strings always felt like they had this balance point between the possibility of being serious and the possibility of being light and funny. Whereas the woodwinds, for example, when I would hear, like to this day, whenever I hear woodwinds in the context session, I laugh. Because I remember using some woodwinds, for example, when they when they're out in the house, that huge house, the mansion, and the how the whole house smells, you know? <laughs> and I remember playing woodwinds with that and just thinking that was so funny, you know? There's something about, every instrument sort of connotes things, and it's, and it's yeah. never the same things, but when you, you know, that's the mystery of film and TV music, that, you know, when you put things next to each other, when you take a sound, an instrument, you put it up against a picture, it feels a certain way. And everyone can have their own interpretations of that, but they they do have these feelings, and and I respond to those feelings. And I remember it was just a, the 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 overarching feeling I would have with woodwinds is that they were kind of funny in the context of the Roy family. So I stayed away from them because I never wanted to turn things into a caricature. You know, it's so important. I always wanted there to be this balancing point where the show could be both tragic and comic you know it, it should never be all of the, all of one or the other i believe the way you work I, I i please correct me if i'm wrong is when you're in a project you're in a project right that's you know it's maybe dinner with caitlin eating but there's no other projects it's not it's it's like you're right when you're in succession you're doing succession when you're underground railroad you're underground railroad is that is that it me? depends i mean that certainly like an idea that's an ideal and there are definitely mm-hmm. periods of time where that's the case but there's also periods of time where that's not the case, you know. Well, that was my question. That was my question about succession with TV because 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 this is over seven years because this was nearly fifty episodes. I'm I was curious about that element of it. Season one was was a very interesting experience for me because I was working on, I was working on in 2018. I was I was writing season one score. I was writing the score for Vice and I was writing the score for If Beale Street Could Talk all at the same time. And okay. each of those is quite different. Um, and yet, it, I think the thing that I really focus on doing is when I'm working on one thing in a day or a particular moment, I'm, I, I think I do have an ability to be very focused and to sort of turn everything off. Um, but I think that on a, if I look on like a micro level, my ability to do that is, is sometimes very specific and very self-contained in even a few hours or something, you know what I mean? Like, so, so if I'm working on succession, I'm not, I'm mentally at that moment, not working on anything else, you know? Um, but two days later, you know, I was working on 
Beale Street, for example, and that's quite different, right. you know? Different. So yeah, so it's so it's an ideal. I think we all aspire to having these, I, I certainly aspire to having these windows of time, you know, where I can really just dive into something. But like you were saying with television, on a purely practical level, because it's so much material, it's it's very difficult to just be in that world. With the Also with the understanding that um, you are drawn to projects in in large part by by the creator, you know, and, and your collab and and and, and collaborate return collaborators or, or new collaborators. So with, with with that being a big caveat here, I am curious though about. I mean, you do have Andor, but now having completed this, making room for more television, and because it it, it is it does take up so much space that I have to imagine there's larger choices involved. And and knowing now what, what's involved with a four-season arc of a great TV show, I, I'm curious if that's something that you also reflect on in terms of this experience. I absolutely do. <laughs> and that is a great question um, because I do think about that. I, I think that um, personally, I think the, the bar is much higher for me to do more television, you know, um, because it is, I just looking at how I sort of immerse myself in it, I think that it's hard to, it's hard to choose to do that again, knowing how much goes into it, you know, um, and I think I would be very careful about doing any more television actually, you know, um, not that I wouldn't do it. I'm all, you know, mm -hmm. always open to it with the right collaborator for sure, you know, but it is such a massive investment of time and, and thought and energy uh, and time <laughs> and time. <laughs> well, there's going to be choices. There's going to be, there's going to be things you can't do because of it, I imagine. And, and, and when you do want to do other things, you know, television is there is still kind of there in the background always, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, and it's a personal choice too. Like I just know what I kind of have put into these things. You know, I, I treat every episode the same way I would treat a movie, you know, or, or anything. And so because of that, you know, I've, I've certainly, I've, I've joked with Tony Gilroy about this, you know, it's like, I feel season one of Andor, we made like seven and a half movies <laughs> or something like that. You know, it was like, you know, so it's, it's that kind of feeling. And, um, and that's, a it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of, you know, real, it, it takes a lot of, of yourself. Um, so on the, on the other hand, these, some of these television experiences have been some of the most profound artistic experiences of my life. And I, um, I, can't you know say enough about how meaningful they are to me so so it's but you know but it's but it's because of that i think that even more so that i want to make sure that you know going forward that i'm really putting my that my efforts in into something that i feel i can deservedly spend that much time on it you know because there is something and just to go back to where we started there is something that was really exciting and i imagine had to be a little bit of a discovery for you with succession which is is that the way you like to work with these formal structures that tv tv rewards that and maybe could need it even i mean i don't want to say needs it more but that it can it, it, it takes a way of working <laughs> that's got to be to no just totally like totally it's uh it is it you know and and that's it's a great point you bring up because like i think I remember vividly working on the pilot and going into episode two, and I had never worked on television before. And so it was just a set of sort of hypotheses about how this might work. You know, what are the right ways to approach it? And I just went on sort of, my hunch was that I should, that, that we would want to feel things connecting. And my hunch was that, that on a particular episode, it's like a movie, but 
across the episodes, it requires this other level of kind of planning or foresight or whatever it might be. And and I completely changed my process to enable that. You know, I mean, we didn't really talk about that much, but, you know, I, I go out of my way, like we were talking about a little bit, to write all this music from these early conversations and from the early scripts and to just so that I can have enough material to begin that exploration. And then I go and record even more music once I start getting episodes, you know? So it's this, I I sort of had that instinct early on that like there's so much material that if I didn't kind of get ahead of it, I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted in a way. And so that was, a, again, just a hunch. Um, and I do think it, it paid off. Um, and, and now um, I sort of feel I couldn't work otherwise, I guess. Yeah. Did, has that affected how you work on features? You know, it has, actually. It's a good point. I mean, I think, I think instinctively I did it a little bit on movies where, for example, with Barry Jenkins, you know, I, would, I, I liked a, an early version of it was I liked to record my demos pretty fully before I would show them to Barry, just in the sense of like, I would say, you know what, like, I want you to hear the real thing. Let me just, you know, if it, even if it's just a real violin, let me just make sure you're hearing a real violin. Um, but now on features, yeah, I, I go out of my way to kind of like do recordings as I'm writing and try things. And I think it maybe further reaffirmed the importance of, uh, of experimenting and, and taking your experiments to sort of their fullest degree not just like a tiny sketch, but like, oh, let me actually fully write that idea. Let me record that idea. And then how do you feel about it? And the idea being is with Succession, if you didn't if you didn't have that baseline or have already done that work, it would be too much to do it within, to think. You almost have to have, have already have thought out some of these themes, some of these ideas, not with the idea that you're you're not doing it just as the material comes in. If it came, if if I waited till the very last minute to write and record some of this stuff, I would never be able to do it. And and the other, I mean, the only the only other way to do that, in perhaps, is the way that I do it on Andor. But Andor, I mean, almost every single month on Andor, I'm recording with an orchestra in London. You know, it's this it's a huge endeavor. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and that is. Uh, you know, really predicated on the idea that it's the star, it's, you know, this is the Star Wars universe, like where, you know, we are fully scoring, these are essentially movies as episodes, you know? Um, I think that that wasn't on succession. I don't think that I ever would have thought that for it. And so because of, but I did have this instinct to kind of swap the order of events where let me write all this music and then see what works. <laughs> and so, and and then like you were saying over time, you know, the editors would then say, oh, we have all this music that Nick's written. And so it g- gave them a baseline that they could start with. And so you're building this kind of musical universe a little bit. Um, but, but I think the answer really is, if I had to summarize, it's just like the scope of television is so massive in general that I think the only way for me to feel like I could do what I wanted to do was just to take so much more time on it. And that's basically, that's the sim- simplest explanation <laughs> summary is just like, I just take all this extra time and I'm thinking about it and writing music and talking to Jesse and, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and if we didn't do that, I'd, I certainly wouldn't have been able to, to write the music I did for the show. All right. Well, Nick, congratulations on the, on the conclusion of the series and uh, the wonderful work. Thank you so much. <laughs> 